Hey there, and welcome to Church of the Beloved's weekly sermon podcast. My name is Kevin Zoe, and I serve on staff as the production manager here at COTV. This week's message is brought to us by Pastor Abe Lee. He is preaching from Psalm 11. Uh, Good morning. I forgot to introduce myself. My name is Abe. Uh, I serve as pastor here at Church of the Beloved. Now, for those of you who have been part of our community for a minute, y'all might uh, think, you know, know, the introductions to my messages sound pretty much the same every single week, and I thought I'd give you a rationale for this. There's two reasons I do that. The first is for those uh, folks who are coming here for the first time. I want to be able for them to be, for y'all to be able to follow along so I can give you context. The second reason is because I'm realistic. I know that you aren't listening to me necessarily. So I want to remind you a little bit of uh, of the same context. So to that end, let me explain. Back in May, we started a sermon series on the book of Psalms, right? And the Psalms are an anthology, an anthology of 150 poems, lyrics of, of wisdom, songs about justice, about salvation, Songs about our Savior that were collected over centuries. Now, last week, we looked at Psalm chapter 14. And during this, I mentioned that Jesus, this was during his Sermon on the Mount, that Jesus was very clear that we should not call people fools because that would disparage God. It disparages God because we'd be disparaging the image bearers of God. And I have a couple of Gen Z translators, and one of them explained to me that the better way to say that is that we should not cancel people because it would be like canceling God, which nobody wants to do that. But then the psalm does state very specifically, fools do exist. And the fools are the ones who either believe or live like there is no God. Because ultimately, our goal as Christians should be to be willing to live as fools in the world's eyes by believing and by living out the truth that God is real and God is here. Or another way to say it, our goal as Christians is to be willing to live as fools in the world's eyes so that we won't live as fools in God's eyes. That was last week. Today we're going to look at Psalm chapter 11, what was just read by Harmony. I was in uh, San Francisco a few weeks ago. For those of you who are not aware about this, My wife, Suzette, and I, we are in the process of moving back to San Francisco so that we can uh, move her parents from Singapore back to the U.S. and so that we can take care of them with Suzette's sister and her brother-in-law. And I want to give a quick plug. Uh, If you have not signed up for our regular email updates, please, I suggest that you do that. Stop by the welcome uh, kiosk table after service and do that today because our elders, Derek... Excuse me, and Michael, the three of us have been regularly updating the congregation on the plans that are being made, the progress they're making towards the transition itself. And and we're going to be sharing even more about it during the congregational meeting that was mentioned that's going to happen on July 23rd. Please try to make some time to join us after service for that. Because I'll tell you, it's actually quite exciting um, to see how God is moving in this church, to see how God, in spite of Maybe even because of these changes that's happening, he's doing some amazing things here. 
So hopefully you guys can keep up to date on what's going on. But anyway, as I was saying, I was in San Francisco a few weeks ago uh, because in order to move there, I've been candidating to serve as an associate pastor for the church that my wife and I used to attend when we lived there. Um, and I'll say it was a little surreal for us because Suzanne and I, we attended that church for over 18 years before moving to Chicago about five years ago. And it was surreal and kind of goofy because before I went up on stage to preach for their services, they have two services, it's a big church. Suzanne and I, we, we just hung out at the back in the entryway and we started welcoming people to the church because we actually knew everyone that was coming in. And it's exactly what we used to do when she was on the welcome team and I was serving as an elder. So we fell right back into it. Now, as part of the candidating process, I was asked to answer some questions uh, from the congregation after I finished preaching those two services. And again, as I said, it was a little surreal because I knew most, if not all, the folks that were sitting there asking questions. Uh, and they knew me. So I got really comfortable as I was answering their questions. And it turns out I might have gotten a little too comfortable with them. Um, I should mention, something happened when I turned 50 this year. Um, I lost my filter. Now, some of you are laughing because you're surprised that I say that I have a filter, I ever had a filter. I did have a filter before. Um, when Suzette's around, she acts as a great substitute for my missing filter. I, and I've, I've, I'm amused. A few folks here at Beloved uh, will joke that when Suzette is out of town, they like to see how unhinged I can possibly get uh, because there's absolutely nothing left at all to filter me. Unfortunately, even though Suzette was with me in San Francisco, uh, I guess I was pretty filterless during that question and response time in San Francisco. It was because I've known these folks for over 20 years, and I didn't, I wasn't, I just got comfortable. But one of the elders who was attending had to, had a chat with me afterwards and had to remind me, you know, not everyone knows you that well here. Maybe you shouldn't be so unhinged all the time. <laughs> um, but here's the thing. People might mind that kind of filterlessness, but God doesn't. God doesn't, if we come, doesn't mind if we come to him unhinged. Actually, God wants us to come to him unhinged. He wants us, he invites us to get so comfortable with him that we are filterless. In Psalm chapter 62, verse 8, it says that this, trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts before him. And God is our refuge. In other words, we do not need to filter ourselves when we're coming to God. We do not need to censor our thoughts or our feelings. Trust God. Sisters and brothers, pour out your uncensored, unfiltered thoughts and your heart to God. And I believe that's exactly what David was doing when he wrote this poem thousands of years ago. Specifically, if we look at verse 6, it says this, let him rain burning coals and sulfur on the wicked. Let a scorching wind be the portion in their cup. See, it, theologians believe that this particular psalm was penned by David while Saul was feeling jealous of David's popularity. Uh, and, and while Saul was trying to kill David, it was like throwing javelins at him and stuff. But David, during that time, he was trying his best to show Paul, Saul respect, Saul 
compassion. You know, just as he did, and because he loved Saul's son, his BFF, Jonathan. But in the weariness of the constant attacks from Saul, David cries out to God. David gets unhinged, he says, in his unfiltered self, cries out, God, would you just please rain down fire on him, smite him, let him die, let him suffer. I'm so tired. Here's the very first point I want to make that I see from today's psalm, which is this. God wants us to come to him uncensored and unhinged. He wants us he wants that of us because when we come to God like that, when we draw closer to him without barriers, when our true selves come to and hear God's voice and feels God's presence, then God can change and transform our hurt. God can change and transform our uncensored thoughts. Then he can transform our trauma-riddled real soul. Because God wants us unhinged so that he can make us hinged. He, he wants us uncensored, not so that he can censor us, no, but so that he might heal our heart and transform us into the person he always intended for us to be. God wants to change our heart so that our uncensored heart looks more like his. You see another example of David as unhinged in Psalm chapter 77, uh, verse 79. It says this, Will the Lord reject forever and never again show favor? Has his faithful love ceased forever? Is his promise at an end for all generations? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in his anger withheld his compassion? See, David here is essentially externally processing his feelings of abandonment, his feelings of rejection. He doesn't clean up his words before saying them. He doesn't censor himself. He doesn't try to make himself all extra holy as he's praying out and crying out. He just opens up his heart, opens up his heart to God and says, God, my, my life sucks so bad right now. Where are you? And as he's processing his emotions, David remembers everything, all that God has done. Talking to God reminds David of who God is and what God has done. In verse 11 of the same chapter, it says, I will remember the Lord's works. Yes, I will remember your ancient wonders. And then after that time of verbal processing, David comes to the point where he is, because of the time he spent in God's presence, David is changed from within. You see that in verses 13 to 15 of chapter 77. It says, God, your way is holy. What God is great like God? You are the God who works wonders. You revealed your strength among the peoples. With power, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. See, David comes to God unfiltered and uncensored so that David's true emotions and true hurts can be fully presented to God. And then God changes his uncensored reality from one that's in pain to one that is comforting. And I'm saying in the same way, if we bring our true selves and our true hurts and lay them before our maker, if we enter into God's presence like this when we pray, then God takes it and he transforms it. He heals it. He changes us from within. 
I want to give one more example. Job uh, had the same experience. Job chapter 3, verse 11. Job cries out, Why was I not stillborn? Why, why didn't I die as I came from the womb? Job chapter 16, verse 11. God hands me over to the unjust. He throws me to the wicked. Job chapter 21, verse 15. Who is the Almighty that we just serve Him? And what will we gain by pleading with Him? These are the words of a man who's lost all hope and doesn't have any more filters. And God comes to Job in Job's raw and unfiltered and hurting state. God comes close and he reminds Job of who he is, who God is. And so Job is changed. Job sees God. Job feels God. Job remembers God. Job remembers his relationship with God. Job remembers that he's a beloved child of God. And Job is changed. And as a result, this is what he cries out in Job chapter 42, verse 2 to 6. I know that you can do anything. No plan of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this who conceals my counsel with ignorance? Surely I spoke about things I did not understand, things too wondrous for me to know. You said, listen now, now speak. When I questioned you, you were informed me. See, I had heard reports about you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I, I reject my words, and I'm sorry for them. I'm dust and ashes. Psalm chapter 11, I think, first of all, reminds us to come to our Father in heaven uncensored, unfiltered, unhinged. Because when we do that, when we do come to him, come to, in prayer to our Almighty, come in prayer to our all-powerful, to our all-knowing, to our loving, to our merciful, to our gracious God, when we come to him without pretext or platitudes, his relationship and his connection to us is beloved. It transforms and it conforms us into his character. See, prayer is the gift that God has given to each of us. And I, I, include, I include singing worship songs too. Prayer and praise are the gifts that God has given to each of us so that we can process what's going on in our lives with the great healer. Do not bother with facades or fakeness. Be real. As Jackie would say, Period. Because when we come to God and when we see God, we will be changed by God. That's the first thing I saw when I was reading this psalm. The second, just one more observation that I want to point out from today's psalm is this. It's in this psalm, King David is sharing the best way to face the stress and the anxiety we deal with every single day. In verse 1 of chapter 11, it says, I have taken refuge in the Lord. So I want to say, what does it mean to take refuge in God, right? Now, I know some uh, doomsday preppers, all right? And if you're not familiar with the concept or you haven't heard that word before, a doomsday prepper is somebody who is in a constant state of readiness for the end of the world, for, for the, all of society to collapse. Now, if you're from San Francisco, uh, if you've lived there, you, everyone is a little bit of a doomsday prepper there because everyone is required to be ready for the big one to come, the next big earthquake that's going to destroy everything, right? 
Suzette and I, we were prepared. We had a bucket, and I bought a cushy, tushy toilet seat to put on top of it so that we could use that when everything else, you know, when, yeah. Uh, we kept a couple of weeks' worth of food always available. We had other emergency supplies ready. We even had these disaster go bags in our closet just in case we had to grab them and run. Um, we also knew, I'm not going to tell you who, we also knew who had all the guns. Because if society collapses or the zombie apocalypse happens, we need to know where to go for our protection. So basically, we knew where we had to go or what we had to do to take refuge if the time ever came. Now I'll tell you, preparing for a, you know, something like that, a zombie apocalypse, that's easy because there are very obvious, very tangible, very concrete things you have to do to be prepared for that. Uh, and that's how my brain works. I like tangible, concrete solutions. That's just, I'm simple that way. You know, for example, if you're worried about, you know, school or boards or whatever, you study. If you're looking for a life partner, download an app. Uh, if you're anxious about your job situation, then you do what I did. We just, just retire. Do whatever you need. I like tangible, concrete solutions. But David's showing us something here that we need to do when life throws us unbearable situations. And that's to find our refuge in God. Because you see, when we try to do things that typically tangible things, these are ultimately not going to be enough. Looking at the second half of verse 1 and going to verse 3, this is what it says. Let me read that again. It says, how, how can you say to me, escape to the mountains like a bird? Well, look, the wicked string bows. They put their arrows on bowstrings to shoot from the shadows at the upright in heart. When the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? See, the chaos of the world, it creates anxiety in our lives, right? And, and all the preparations that we try to make to address the chaos, sometimes, many times, cannot overcome that chaos. Because the arrows still come, and the foundation is still destroyed. So what does it mean when David tells us to take refuge in God? You know, I used to travel a lot as a consultant when I, when I, at a software company before. And, and during that time, you know, I'll tell you, I was doing everything I could do to make money to, at least in my mind, this is what I told myself, I wanted to make money to make a better life for my wife Suzette and ultimately for the child we would never have. But the tangible act of grinding away at my job regularly, it was ruining my relationship with Suzette. We were growing further and further apart during that time, and I could maybe I chose not to see what was happening because the wicked were stringing their bows. The foundation was being destroyed, and I was the one doing it. Thankfully, Suzette, who is a much wiser and better person than me, she pointed out to me what was happening, and I realized I needed to make a change. And that change required me to take refuge in God. And I came to realize what that means. To take refuge in God is to become righteous and to become upright. Verse 7 says, For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright will see his face. 
And we become righteous and upright so that we can see the face of God. We become righteous and upright by seeking to live out the wisdom of God, which is what we talked about last week. It all comes back full circle. See, Psalm 11, I believe, reminds us that God wants us to come to him unfiltered and uncensored so that he can truly heal, truly transform us, transform our true, unfiltered, and uncensored selves. And he wants us to come to him in righteousness so that he can be our refuge when life becomes difficult. And that's the truth of it. But I want to close out my time with you with just a few lessons as I was reading today that I learned preparing for this message. Things to consider as we all strive to seek our refuge in God versus seeking refuge in ourselves. And the first thing I learned when I was reading through this is this. Seeking our refuge in God, it takes work. See, the first thing that Suzanne and I did when we created our doomsday kit, you know, that when we had to prepare for our refuge in case of the next big one, we had to create a checklist of all the things that we had to get and do. Right? And then we went out and we bought the things off that checklist. Uh, and then we regularly updated <laughs> that checklist uh, and updated the supply. We would have to eat up and replace all the expired canned goods. So sometimes we had a lot of peaches. Uh, we had to make sure that the batteries for our flashlights worked. And so we'd have lightsaber fights with our flashlights just to ruin the batteries. We do stuff like that. Uh, in the same way, seeking our refuge in God, it does take some work. Thankfully, the work that we need to do, it is not something we do alone. It's something we do through God's power, through the Holy Spirit, with the help of the Holy Spirit, and with the help of the, of the community that God has provided for you. James chapter 1, verse 5. It says this. Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, that's work, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. See, seeking our refuge in God is to seek to be righteous, right? And to be righteous, it requires God's wisdom. And to get God's wisdom, we just need to ask for it. That's some work. In James chapter 1, verse 19 to 22, it says this. It says, my dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, that's more work, humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. See, seeking our refuge in God is to seek to be righteous, right? And, and, and to be righteous, it requires not only that we know God's word, that's important, but that we do God's will, be doers of the word. So seeking refuge in God takes work that is enabled by our faith and by the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Seeking refuge in God takes work. That's one. The second lesson that uh, I came to understand in this, as I was preparing this is seeking refuge, it doesn't take away the earthquake or the zombies or the hurts or the pains or the arrows. No, seeking refuge helps us deal with them. Sticking with James in chapter 1, verse 2 to 4, explains that we should consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, Whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces 
endurance. And let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature, complete, lacking nothing. See, taking our refuge in God does not mean that the misery of sin or the dangers and the chaos of life are taken away. It means that we have the strength, we have the tools, we have the wisdom to endure through that. Psalm 11, verse 4. I love this image that Dave is painting here. It says this, The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord, his throne is in heaven. His eyes watch. His gaze examines everyone. See, taking refuge in God means trusting that you will be given the strength by the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us to endure the arrows. And that everything that you're dealing with it's all preparing us to return to our dad, to our father in heaven, in his holy temple, in the new Eden, in our eternal home. James chapter 1, verse 12, it says this, Blessed is the one who endures trials, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. See, there is personal responsibility in seeking refuge in God. Work that is enabled and that is empowered when we allow God to, through his Holy Spirit, when we allow God to lead our lives. And God's refuge, it doesn't promise that we're not going to have pain anymore. God's refuge promises protection in and through the pain. The last point that I want to make when it comes to understanding what it means to seek our refuge in God is this. Sometimes what we're seeking refuge from is not the world around us. It's us. It's ourselves. Because sometimes I'm the wicked one who's stringing the bow to shoot arrows at my desire to love God and to love God's image bearer. Sometimes I'm the one that's breaking down the foundation, the foundation of faith in God's love and mercy. Sometimes I'm the one sabotaging myself because I'd rather do what's right in my own eyes than what is right in God's eyes. Here's the thing. Regardless of whether it's the troubles of the world or the brokenness within us, we can seek refuge in God. We can seek to be righteous. See, to take refuge in God is to seek to be righteous. Or as we said it last week, to be seen as fools in the world's eyes so that we can be seen as wise in God's eyes. Seeking God as our refuge means to understand that what we do apart from God, it might seem to help a little, those tangible things. They might seem to help for a moment, but there's, these things are never going to be adequate when facing the chaos and the challenges being thrown at us every day, from around us and from within us. Our refuge in God comes when we come honestly to God, when we come to Him uncensored, unfiltered and unhinged so that by the power of his word, by the power of his works, we might be transformed into the sisters and the brothers that God has always intended us to be. That's what I believe Psalm chapter 11 is trying to show us today. Thanks for tuning into this week's COTB Sermon Podcast. For more info or to connect with us online, you can find us at cotb.life.